0: Man, take your Bible and turn with me. I'll tell you what, turn to 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians, and we'll be in chapter number 13. Our Bible study tonight, I've called it the good life. That's what I thought I had last night once I finally got that ham in front of me at Liberty Grove. I thought I was having the good life. But you know, one of the signs, and you'll be happy to know this, one of the signs of good health is a good appetite, right? Right? The fact that if you've got a good appetite, it's a sign that you are healthy. And the only thing that will satisfy a good appetite is good food. But that's where the problem is. Because what I call good food and what my doctor calls good food is two different things. Amen? I define good food by what tastes good to me. And my doctor defines good food by what's good for me. Now, I think one of the, the miracle foods out there, and I'm not a dietitian or anything like that, I think it's fruit, right? Anybody here that just can't stand fruit tonight? I've never met anybody. Everybody's got at least something they like. I, I, I love fruit. And this seems to be one of the only foods that really meets that criteria of being good uh, for you and being good to you at the same time, right? Being good to your taste buds and also being healthy and good for you as well. Good for the body. And so fruit, that's what God wants believers to be as well. We're to be like fruit. Look at this next slide. God wants us to live lives that are both good to others and good for others. He wants to live lives that are so like attractive and loving uh, that we're drawing people to Christ. Like a hungry man looking at a ham plate after he's been standing there for 45 minutes that's how we are to be uh, making the gospel attractive and pointing people to jesus so the question is how do we become that kind of fruitful loving person Uh, the the answer is found in these magnificent verses i got these in your notes um, and we're going to be looking at these for a few weeks galatians 5 verse 22 and 23 and you and you know these verses it says but the fruit of the spirit is love joy Peace, long suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self control. Uh oh, Again, against such there is no law. Now, if you don't think that these qualities are super important, uh, let me just ask you a couple of hypothetical questions. Do you think every marriage might be a little bit better if, if these character traits were shown in that marriage? Or wouldn't a business be better if the employer and the employees? demonstrated the fruit of the spirit on the job or friendships? How much better would our friendships, our relationship with our family be if we're demonstrating these kinds of uh, traits and characteristics? Now, I know it may seem impossible, but that's the good news and the bad news. It's impossible for us to manufacture on our own, but Christ can manufacture this in our lives and through our lives. Look at this next slide. The qualities of a fruit-filled life cannot be self-manufactured, but they're spiritually produced. Matter of fact, we talked about this in our sermon series on Sunday nights. We're talking about grace and truth. It's the right tension, right? How do we keep the right tension between the grace and also truth, right? Because sometimes the truth, what? Hurts, right? And so we want to keep that tension between grace and truth. And I've noticed that whenever I'm full of Marcus, I shift over to the truth side. I'm more likely to tell you how it is, right? And maybe I slip away from grace a little bit. And the same thing is true of this. When I'm less full of Christ and I'm more full of Marcus, right, Uh, I I drift away from the fruit of the Spirit and I become more like the fruit of Marcus, which is a cranky bald guy whose shoulder hurts. Does that make sense? And you can't gin this up. You can't fake this on your own. You've either got it or you don't. And there's the problem with believers who just do not have it. Uh, and, the, and the first one that is listed is love, and there's a reason why love is the first. Love is the key. It's the, none of the others are even possible. If you don't have love, none of the rest of them can even happen. They all flow out of love. Matter of fact, Jesus told a lawyer one time in the, in the New Testament that you could boil all of the Old Testament law down to one word, love, right? And two things, love God and what? Love others like you, uh, as yourself. So what does it look like? If you're going to be a loving person, a real loving person, a loving husband, husband, a wife, brother, sister, father, mother, friend, you're going to have some of these characteristics tonight. Let's look at it together. By our love, number one, our love should motivate us. We should be motivated by love. Now look in your Bible at 1 Corinthians 13, verse 1. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church at Corinth. He says this, Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I have become sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains, but but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Now, do you kind of get the feeling here that Paul's trying to make a point about love. And by the way, the word that he's using here several times is that word, you've heard it before, it's the agape love, which is rarely, agape love is almost never mentioned in Greek outside of Scripture. The, The Greeks had primarily two words, uh, for love. There's eros, which is the erotic sexual kind of love, and, and philos, phylos, uh, it describes uh, friendship love, a warm kinship friendship kind of love. And, but agape love is different. So I'm giving you this summary. Agape love is one of those things that you could write a page on. Look at this next slide. Basically, agape love is a love that is based on a deliberate choice of the one who loves rather than the worthiness of the one who is loved. In other words, person one decides, I'm gonna love person two no matter what they do. It's based on my decision to love, it's not based on their worthiness or how good they are. That's why this is that God kind of love. It's like how Christ chose us and he loves us despite all of our sin and everything we do. It's that kind of love. It goes against the flesh, it goes against reasoning many times. And what Paul here is saying in 1 Corinthians is that God isn't impressed with what we do, how well we speak, how much we know. If we don't have love, all of it's worthless and, and doesn't mean anything. I've known people in church life that are mega servers. They serve, and they, they're just they serve, 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 but it's crystal clear that they do it without love. In God's eyes, it means nothing. It just means nothing. All that service, all that work, all that effort, all that time, if it's not done with love, God does not care. Now, you probably didn't notice it, but Paul here is, he basically lifts, uh, he goes through the spiritual gifts here. Um, don't do it right now, but if you go back to 1 Corinthians 12 and then look at 1 Corinthians 14. Uh, you'll see he's primarily dealing with spiritual gifts. Uh, He's talking about people that have the gift of tongues, the gift of prophecy, the gift of knowledge, faith, of giving, right? Even those who have the gift of being a martyr, giving their life for Christ, right? The scripture describes that as a gift. And he says, in effect, that the only thing that makes you anything is love. No substitute, loving God and loving others and doing it for the right reasons. You know, by the way, whether it's uh, speaking in tongues prophecy, the gift of knowledge, the gift of faith, you know, and all these different things. Every other religion in the world claims to have those. Those aren't somehow completely unique uh, to Christianity, to New Testament Christianity. There's plenty of pagan religions that claim to speak in some form of tongues or whatever. Other religions claim prophecy. Other religions, I mean, they actually uh, claim to have faith of some kind. Other religions give to the poor, not as much as Christians, not like Christians. Matter of fact, they're not even a close second, but they do. There are other religions where giving to poor people is a part of their faith practice. And so the point is, uh, we're not to get so impressed with the spiritual gift, we're to be impressed with the spiritual fruit, and the fruit is love. Look at this next line. The real mark of a real Christ follower isn't how much you do, your activity, it's your affection how much you love. And it's always obvious and evident when you love. It's ob- Whenever I'm not being, when I'm full of Marcus, not full of Christ, it's obvious and e- evident I'm not being very loving. Everything you do for your church, for your family, right, for your friends, even for your boss at work should be motivated out of love. We should love God uh, in such a way that we desire to do our best to please God. And we should have enough love for others that we want them to see the best, God's best in us. Okay, so we should be motivated. Love is the motivator. Now, number two, write this down. We should also be marked by love. Love should be the common trait in the church and outside of the church. Absolutely marked by love. Now, Paul gets down here. Here in our next, in, in 1 Corinthians, he gets down to the nitty-gritty, right? And he lists these uh, characteristics, these 14 characteristics of love. Some of them are positive. Some of them are negative, right, the way he describes them. But as we look at this, just think... How does your love measure up tonight? And so I, I got your fill in the blanks. We're going to just walk right through this verse, okay? Hey, write this down. Love is patient. Everybody feeling patient tonight? Patience is, uh, is really made up of two Greek words. Uh, Themia, uh, um, thermometer. Okay, just, you know, uh, heat, thermometer. Uh, it refers to um, heat or passion, thermia. And then uh, uh, the rest is, is the word macro, right? And then in the ancient Greek macro, what it meant was long. You've heard of micro and macro, right? Macro, that's where we get the word from. And so what it literally says is love is long-tempered, long-suffering. And some of your Bible translations probably say that. Love has a long fuse. It takes a long time to get love mad. Also, love has a short memory. Right? B, write this down. Love is kind that makes sense. By the way, the original Greek word for kindness that you have uh, in the New King James Version, uh, it, um, it, it means more than uh, when we think of kindness. Uh, remember how in the beginning we were talking about fruit or food that's good to you and good for you, and I was talking about fruit? Kindness, the Greek word, is the word that you'd use to describe that kind of food. Like say, if it was an apple, you'd be like, "Ah, oh, this apple is kind. And what that would mean is, it's good to me, and it's good for me. Love is kind. Uh, look at this next slide. Mark Twain said this. He said, kindness is a language which the deaf can hear and the blind can see. It's absolutely true. And when God brings guests and visitors to Grace Baptist Church, they can feel it. They can feel it. So what is your kindness quotient? Let me think about it. When was the last time you did something for somebody in your family, someone at work, someone in your neighborhood without being asked love is kind see write this down also love does not envy love isn't jealous now i think it was dr dobson originally who said you know what's that that cheesy if you love something if you love someone set them free if it comes back to you it's yours and if it doesn't it never was or something like that you know that phrase I like the other version of it. It says, if you love something, set it free. If it doesn't come back to you, track it down, beat it to death. It's yours forever, right? No, that's not love, is it? That's not love. Uh, Envy and jealousy possess, love releases, right? Love releases. There's freedom in love. Real love is glad for the good in another person and the good that's happening to another person. That's real love. I'm, not, I'm happy, I can celebrate, even though there's bad things in you, I'm happy for the good that's in you, and I'm also happy for the good things happening to you. Many times we find ourselves on the opposite end of that. We only recognize the negative, the bad things, and then when something good happens, we don't really even like that, right? We're like, of course, people like that, get away with murder, you know, whatever it is. That's not love. Uh, someone wisely said, every time you turn green with envy, you are ripe for trouble, And it is true. Now, D, write this down. Love also is not proud. Proud. Love doesn't really strut itself around. Sometimes it's harder to love when you're the successful person. Have you ever known somebody that completely changed once they got a lot of money? Or they got that promotion? And all of a sudden, they don't know you anymore. Right? We've all seen that happen. They used to have time for you. Now they don't and all that. They used to take your calls and now they Forgotten your number. Real love not only accepts people when they're more successful, but also accepts other people when they're less successful. Right? Love is not proud. E, write this down. Love is not rude. Um, again, in the Greek, what that word means, shameful. In the Greek, it means shameful. Right? Love is not shameful or disgraceful. There's really no need to elaborate on this. It, courtesy. Love doesn't cut in line. Let me tell you what, and when we were at that wonderful Liberty Grove Baptist Church, I mean, and for that incredible heavenly ham supper that we had, we were at the very back, but none of our guys cut in line. Amen. Well, except Hunter, he cut, no, I'm kidding. And so, none of our guys cut in line, right? Real love is courteous, never disgraceful, never shameful. Now, F, write this down. Love is also not self seeking. You've ever known somebody that you feel like they were friends with somebody just for what they could get out of it? You know what I'm saying? Right? Somebody gets that promotion at work, somebody gets that success, and all of a sudden they get new friends and they don't have time for their own, but the new friends are just simply there for what they can get out of the relationship. That's not real love. Um, Selfless love is not self-seeking. It's loving you before you even love me. Selfless love. Sometimes when we say, I love you, we're saying, I love how you make me feel. I love you for what you can do for me, right? Uh, because you made me feel good. What you're doing right now is working for me. It makes me feel all right. So I love you. That's not the kind of love we're talking about here. Real love uh, loves others for what we can give to them, not because of what we get from them. One of them. The, the couple's family, y'all know they moved to Mississippi. They moved and all that, the little couple's, um, the little couples family. They had nothing to offer. Nothing to offer. And they've moved, and um, y'all know their situation. I don't have to elaborate on that. But they moved. They didn't bring anything to the table. But they were always faithful. They were always here. And they loved. Does that make sense? And they loved. There was nothing that we could get from them. Does that make sense? But they loved. Now I'll miss that family probably more than some other families that, you know, through the years have come and gone uh, simply because they loved and they had nothing to bring to the table. How's your love doing tonight? Gee, write this down. Love isn't easily angered. Again, we're kind of back on that. It keeps no record of wrongs. Bum, 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 bum. Like if you were doing pretty good and you once we hit this point, this is this is. This is a lot of us. I start to say, this is you right here. We usually know how somebody wronged us. We can usually kind of keep an accounting of like how many times people have crossed us, right? I mean, I've ran into it in church life, right? The preacher didn't shake my hand, right? Three times, so we're never coming back. You know, I mean, it's just things happen and people kind of keep a list. Real love applies a lot of grace where grace is needed. We talked about Sunday night and talked about that tension between lo- uh, truth and grace, one of the things that we talked about is the only thing that qualifies you to need grace is sin. That if you're not a sinner, you're not qualified for, I mean, you are a sinner, but if you, it only sinners qualify for grace, perfect people don't need any grace. And, and love operates the same way. Uh, real love applies a lot of grace. And people, imperfect people, require a lot of grace right? If they didn't need a lot of grace, they probably wouldn't hang out with your sinful self, amen? Grace, it leaves a lot of room for other people to make mistakes. A lot of people, you make one mistake, they cut you loose, right? That's not, that's not the agape love that we learn in scriptures. Again, the word here is an accounting term or a bookkeeping term, but it says, it's what it's saying is love doesn't keep a ledger, you remember the old school ledgers? Love doesn't keep, it's not a debit and a credit. And a debit, okay, you did some good here, you did some bad here. It doesn't keep a ledger. It doesn't hold a grudge. Quick to forgive, quick to forget. I'll forgive them, but I'll never forget. Don't lie to yourself. It's not always easy, though, is it? I got people I'm still mad at sometimes. And I'll talk to you after the service, amen? No, I'm just kidding. But don't you find that way? You know how you know that you haven't forgiven them? when they walk in the room. Has that ever happened? It's happened to me? Like, you forget about somebody. You forget. People say, well, I'll forgive them, but I won't forget. No, no, what happens is you forget. Now you've moved on. Life comes at you fast, doesn't it? Right? I'm speaking as a 30-year-old man here. I'm lying, y'all. I'm 46. Get it? All right. And so, but listen. But listen to me. And what happens is you forget. You forget and then they walk in and all of a sudden you just feel it in your stomach you, you know what i'm talking about all of a sudden you're just like oh that dirty dog oh, that dirty, he better not let this religion fool him <laughs> i got a couple things he better not let that. hey don't let this ministry thing get you twisted i've got something to say to you and then it's like no marcus <laughs> right what you did marcus was you forgot but you didn't forgive You've got to go back and you've got to forgive. You know why we don't keep records, mental records, what other people have done to us? Let me say it like this. You know why we keep records? Let's be honest. Why we know when people have done us wrong? Do you know why? So you can use it later to justify your sinful actions and attitudes. They had it coming. After everything they did to me, pa, 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 pa. I had every right to treat them like that. I had every right to run her down behind her back, right? We keep a list because we think it justifies our sin. Real love isn't like this, uh, like that. Look at this next slide. C.S. Lewis said this: Everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. And let's, let's be honest. Let's, let's keep it here in the real world. The deepest hurts in my life have been church hurts, right? I mean, I'm talking about like as a member in the ministry. Right? There's, man, there's, there's family hurts and there's relational hurts. But church hurts keep you up at night, don't they? When things go wrong and, and relationships are strained and things like that, church hurts. Hurt in the family of God. And sometimes those very things that need the most forgiveness often get the less forgiveness, the less amount of grace applied to it when we know that it's the right thing to do. Real love doesn't keep a record. It refuses to keep a record. Real love keeps the record of what you've done right. Real love is willing to celebrate the good in you and the good that's happening to you. Uh, You know, you ever thought you were friends with somebody and then you found out you weren't? It stings, man. We we had some people like that. I thought they were friends. I mean, I just related to them so well. I thought we were home, home team. We were not home team. If they walked in here right now, I've thought about it in the ministry. It's hurting the ministry. I'll just be transparent with you. Many times, people use ministers as commodities to be used when needed and then thrown away when done. Some ministers use churches like that. Shake your head, everybody, shake your head. Some ministers use churches like that. It's been my experience in my life where people have occupied a great time of my energy and my time and my prayer life and my love and my grace and my compassion and then... Once they're done, they're done with me. Does that make sense? And they move on and they leave you in the ash heap behind them. It's happened many times in the ministry. I've known many a pastor that gone to a church and went to a church and served a church for what he could get out of the church to move him on to the next thing rather than genuinely loving the people. This is not the kind of love that's described here uh, in God's word for us. Real love doesn't keep a record. How's your love doing tonight? H, I'm being too honest with y'all tonight. H, write this down. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Again, this is the tough part of love. When you really love someone, you've got to be willing to do both. Tell them the truth, truth, and then receive the truth. So you've got to be willing to give truth and receive truth. If you're not willing to do both things, it's not love even though it's painful and even though it's not pleasant you have to be able to do uh, both if you cannot hear truth from a friend they're not your friend if you cannot give truth to a friend they're not your friend but again that tension right grace and truth am i giving truth for the right reasons in the right way with the right heart or is this something that's just bugging me there's a big difference if you have a friend who's not willing to tell you the truth when you need to hear truth Right, They're not your friend. If you've got a friend that you're not willing to share truth with when it's right and they need to hear the truth, you're not being a friend to them either. Now the next thing about love, uh, number three, write this down. We should be mastered by love. Mastered by love. Now Paul is looking for, I think, when you read this in context, it's like a, a ribbon uh, to wrap around one of the sweetest verses in all of the Bible. So he closes with this. In 1 Corinthians 13, verse 7. And he says, I'm referring to love, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Right? Isn't that nice? And again, this is, this is poetic. You know, because you have love, does that, that, does that mean you believe the earth is flat? I mean, you know what I'm saying? And it's not like literal. You're going to believe everything. But again, this is poetic, bears all things and believes all things, hopes all things and endures all things. That word all there in your Bible is the word panta. Panta, it means all. You've uh, you've heard of a pantheism where they, you know, God is everything. You've got a pantry, right, where you keep all of your, your food stuff or whatever. A panacea is a cure for all things. It comes from this word that we have in our Bible, panta. It means all things. And Paul said, basically says we're always looking for the good, always hoping for the good in others. It's not negative, it's positive. It doesn't always look at faults. It looks at uh, what God is doing in their life. That does, again, that doesn't mean that love is blind. You ever heard that, love is blind? Uh, somebody said this, love is not blind. It sees more, not less, because it's willing to see, uh, because it, it sees more, it is willing to see less. What I'm saying, it sees more of the good, less of the bad grace, grace, grace. You can find something negative in anybody if you look hard enough. Right? I've even found people like that don't, don't even like my preaching. One in a million, I guess. Y'all know I'm joking, right? But what I'm saying, though, is you can find something negative in anything. You can find... Stop writing that. Don't write that down over there, Mr. Ron. <laughs> He's raised... One... Right. But listen... You can find something negative about anybody, all that, your spouse, your children, your family, people at work, you can find the negative. Let me warn you with this. Look at this next slide. Nothing is a greater love murderer, serial killer than being cynical, negative, and fault finding toward other people. Cynical, negative, fault finding. I've never seen a church that didn't have one, Right? Cynical, negative, and fault-finding. Oh, by the way, I was just kidding about the preacher coming in a minute ago, but I've told you that there are people... Have you ever met people that can always dissect a sermon? I'm being serious. I'm not talking as a... Pa- I mean, just in life, I've these people... You know, they could be, you know, they could preach better than Adrian Rogers or David Jeremiah, and they've never preached once in all their life, but they can pick it apart, and they know exactly how long it should have been. They know what he should have said, and uh, every little detail about the, some toe in a statue in the book of Daniel, they know all about it, and the preacher never does a good enough job. And I've told you my theory on that, right? I believe there's a people that God called into the ministry, and they never surrendered to God's call, and so now they're cynical, negative, and fault-finding because they're they're outside of God's will for their life. God had called them to preach and into a ministry of theology, and they've refused, and so now they're just negative. I believe that with all my heart, but nothing is a greater love killer than being cynical, negative, and fault-finding towards other people. Does that describe anybody you even want to spend time with? Right? And I've shared with y'all before, I kind of default to negative like when I'm full of Marcus, I could be negative and I don't like it. I heard about a fifth grader who wrote this poem on a sheet of paper. He said this about his girl and about Paul's girl. He said, Paul's girl was rich and haughty. My girl is as poor as clay. Paul's girl is young and pretty. My girl looks like a bella hay. This is real. Paul's girl was smart and clever. My girl is dumb, but good. Would I trade my girl for Paul's? You bet your life I would. <laughs> that has nothing to do with this sermon. I just wanted to tell you all that. Don't be like him, amen? No. So what is, why does Paul put love at the beginning of this list? The bottom, look at verse number 8. The bottom line is this. Love never fails. Love never fails. It never fails. It won't fail your marriage. won't fail your home. won't fail on your job. It won't fail the church. No wonder Jesus said in John 13, 35, he said, By this, all will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Love is like a glue. It has the potential to create a bond, right? But only when it's released from its, only when it's released from its, excuse me, but it only works when it's released from its container, right? If you want something to stick, you got to apply it. And that's love. Love's only going to work if you apply it. When we apply love, it never fails. It works every time. And and here's a a list. This is a covenant, I believe. Right? This is something that we should endeavor to do individually for each each other in our Grace Baptist family. And I'm going to move through these. You should be able to say this about every person at Grace Baptist Church. Look at this next slide. You will never knowingly suffer at my hands. Look at the next one. I will never say anything or do anything knowingly to hurt you. You should be able to say that. Look at the next one. I will always, in every circumstance, seek to help and support you. Next, if you're down and I can lift you up, I'll do that. Next one, if you need something and I have it, I'll share it with you. Next one, if I need to, I'll just give it to you. Look at the next one. And no matter what I find out about you, no matter what happens in the future, either good or bad, no matter what they say, my commitment to you will never change. And the last one, and there's just nothing you can do about it. There is nothing that you can do about it. If you ever capture that kind of spirit in your mind and in your heart and in your life and in our church, it'll be the embodiment of the fruit of of love and that's what we want let's stand and we'll pray and be dismissed thank you so much for being here tonight all right let's pray let's pray Father god thank you so much for our time together lord just stamp us with your love god so that we will show your love to others help us to be exactly who you've called us to be lord if we're not loving if we're if we're not loving if we're not loving others if we're not really being your disciple straighten us out Lord, discipline us, whatever it takes. Help us to be an expression of your love. Lord, when I'm not being loving, remind me, uh, God, that I'm walking in the flesh and not in the spirit. Lord, give us your grace and your mercy. And again, Father, sh- just continue to shower us with your love and your blessings so that we can pass it on to someone else, that we will love others. And Lord, we'll love them, and there's nothing they can do about it. We love you. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Everybody say it. Amen.